Hey everyone and welcome to yet another episode of Morgan Webster's Wrestling Friends. As always, I'm your king of the mods, Flash Morgan Webster. Or for the next 45 minutes to the hour, to the hour and a half, who knows, however long I decide to gabble on with my guests this week. I am your host, or as I like to see it, facilitator through these chats, discussions, gatherings. You know me, I absolutely love to use that word, don't I? Gatherings with your wrestling favourites, or as I like to call them, just like the show is named, My Wrestling Friends. This podcast comes to you free, free of charge. No pennies, no pounds, no dollars, no euros, no whatever you're using for currency. None of that yen, whatever. None of that comes to you free, absolutely free, every Wednesday on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever, wherever you get your podcast from. But you know, as I always say, if you are going to listen to it free, please be sure to rate, subscribe, review because it does help us push away up those podcasts. Listen, it does open me up to new listeners, which is all I want to do. I want to try to reach out and touch as many listeners as I can with my voice, my lovely, soothing voice, and the voice of my guests as well. So please be sure, whatever you listen on, whatever platform, Android, iPhone, whatever, please be sure to rate, subscribe, review, because it does help me push my way up those podcast lists, and it does open me up to new listeners. If you do want to give something back, you can do that two ways. In part one is jump over to our sponsors, partsunknown.co.uk, and pick up a t-shirt over there because they sponsor the podcast. And if you support them, you're supporting me. But of course, as well, if you do want to support me straight on, straight directly, then you can head over to morganwebster.bigcartel.com, pick up a DVD. You've got the best in Morgan Webster over there at the moment. I also have some t-shirts over there for £5. And I do believe the pre-order has just finished for the Wrestling Friends t-shirt. So if you missed that out, unfortunately, you're going to have to wait for it to come out on partsknown.co.uk. But hey, everyone who did buy it, and there was quite a few of you, I thank you very much for buying one of those t-shirts. It really does mean a lot. Of course, as well, if you haven't got that much money, and I've said it now, we've got Christmas. Christmas is coming up. We're, we're what, about two weeks away now for Christmas, two, three weeks away. Then if you haven't got that much money, then don't worry. All I ask is maybe do a shout out on social media. You can even do it on the Twitter that is Flash underscore Morgan, or on the Facebook, which is facebook.com for us, Flash Morgan Webster. Do that. Let your friends know. Tell a friend. Post about it. Tweet about it. Or do whatever you want, because the more people to see that, the more people get interested and go, ooh, maybe we should check out this podcast. Maybe we really should. And then again, opens me up to new listeners, and it, job done. Jobs are good, and that's what they say. That's what my granddad used to say. Anyway, jobs are good, and so yeah, maybe do that. Hit me up on social media. Twitter, Flash underscore Morgan, or of course, facebook.com forward slash flash morgan webster this week's guest is glenn joseph one third of the owners of progress wrestling i know a lot of you guys are the f- are fans of progress wrestling if you are not then jump over to uh, progress wrestling on demand give that a search on google and you'll find it the whole back catalogs on there and it's for i do believe 5.99 a month which is absolutely crazy when you think about the amount of content that is on there stephanie go check that out so yep yeah, got to go up the crew got to sit down with uh glenn it was just lovely to sit down chat with glenn have a conversation with him because to be honest progress days are very very hectic so i don't think me and glenn have ever sat down properly had a discussion we've known each other now for about two three years but again 
this world of wrestling is very, very hectic. You never really get to sit down and chat with your friends. So it was absolutely lovely to do that. I also had some great news as well. Went to the physio this week and got to do some judo rolls. This is why I'm very excited. Very, very excited to start off the podcast this week. Judo rolls. <laughs> so excited. Uh, and I'll explain why. Judo rolls, uh, rolls in general, are the fundamentals of wrestling. It's one of the first things you ever get taught. So to be able to finally get back to doing some judo rolls means I'm officially, officially got my foot, got my foot back in that door. So yeah, it kind of back involved with wrestling, which is great, which is really, really exciting. I'm going to stop giving you these little updates now, these little ins for now, because I uh, I feel that uh, maybe, maybe the comeback's uh, not too far away, and I want it to be a bit of a surprise, so maybe I'll... Uh, Maybe I'll stop giving you little hints and treats. But yeah, got to do some judo rolls. Physio, very excited. Very, very happy. And I'm just ecstatic as probably why I'm a little bit a little bit excited this week. Because it's just been a really good, 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 good week. Or as I like to say, as I, as I do love to say, absolutely fantastic. But yeah, got to go, got to do some judo rolls. Got to go up to crew. Got to sit down with Glenn Joseph. And it is a lovely, lovely show. It's an absolute corker. Got, we chat about progress. We chat about his musical beginnings. We talk about him coming from a small working class family. And we just talk about it all, really. And I think you really are going to enjoy it. So, now the plugs are out the way, as I always say. Now the pleasantries are out the way. And now I've informed you all that I am back to my old judo rolling ways. Then please, sit back, relax, and enjoy the wonderful... Glenn Joseph. I'm joined today by Glenn Joseph. Thank you for uh, being on the show, Glenn. It's very nice to be. It's nice to step outside the body bubble for a, for just, a few hours. Just saying before uh, before we started recording, you said about the body bubble. There's no one thing I find interesting. Up until about a year ago, I didn't know you were a Geordie. Yeah, somebody said that to me the other day in the cast. Actually, um, I, I, when we were chatting a minute ago, I, I could hear bits, and I think maybe that's because I've I now know, so maybe I'm looking out for it a little I, bit. When more I talk to my mum on the phone. I get really Geordie. I, quite, really... I think when I'm quite bunged up, I get quite Geordie. It's like I have to go more nasal. Because this, this time of the year, as well with having a cold and stuff, now I, I think I sound a little bit more Geordie than I used to. But also when I speak incredibly fast or I'm drunk. You sound a little bit Geordie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just had too much coffee. Yeah, no, um, I was uh, born and raised in Newcastle and uh, moved away to train when I was 18. So I lived there for training 18 years. So I trained in Guildford, which is where most of my accent disappeared. Um, because they told me, you know, oh no, you're very difficult to understand and you need to speak, receive pronunciation, which for those who don't know, RP is basically like the, not the Queen's English, not heightened RP, but it's a very particular way of speaking how English people are meant to speak, okay. how Americans think we speak, okay. basically, uh, uh, apart from we've got better teeth. Um, uh, and and uh, they told me you never get any work as a Geordie, there's only Billy Elliot you'd be able to do and what have you. All of my voiceovers I've done since I've graduated in Geordie because it's really difficult to replicate. A lot of people go Pakistani, a lot of people go Welsh. If you don't, speak, that is very true. Yeah. Same with people trying to do Welsh as well. Yeah, so I should have just ignored them, but they kind of beat it out of me for three years. And so <laughs> I had a very, very neutral uh, accent for and have done since then, really. So uh, it's quite it's quite useful for doing accents because if you've got a neutral voice, then you can kind of replicate other ones much easier. Yeah, um. But yeah, like it'll, it'll get to four o'clock in the morning, and all of a sudden people will be like, "Why, why aren't deck?" We let them in. Um, but yeah, so I went to Guildford until I was twenty-one, and then moved to London, where I've lived for the last eleven years. 
how did we get involved in would it be musical theatre was that yeah so I trained in I trained in uh, in musical theatre at Guildford uh, which was a, a three year degree course graduated by the University of Surrey graduated first class honours just saying I, got, I Although, also graduated first class honours nah, so. you know, <laughs> people say people in wrestling are thick um, well some 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 of um, but yeah uh, and it was, it was it was a nice time my first year I was really resistant to it um, I, I just wanted to because I don't look like it, but me and Jim Smallman have like very similar tastes in music. Like okay. I'm a proper metalhead from back in the day, and um, I just wanted to listen to like Metallica and wanted to sing rock. Like about the time I was training, like musicals like We Will Rock You were coming out and really big, and like they needed big tenor voices and guys who could sing rock, and that's all I wanted to do. So they gave me this singing teacher who like worked with Pavarotti before. She'd been on one of like she'd been in like plays with him and, and uh, sorry operas rather. Uh, and she completely changed my voice. Like she, she retrained me how to sing like opera and operetta, and how to properly use my voice. Because when I went to drama school, you know, uh, as much as I, I dislike, you know, it now, I was smoking nearly twenty fags a day, um, and my voice was wrecked. And she completely rebuilt my voice, which is now why, you know, as a thirty-two-year-old singer, I know my limits. And we were talking about it earlier on, like you know, doing eight shows a week of this is, is pretty tough, but. You get like um, it's part of the reason why when you see these people on X Factor or like these reality TV programs, they move into musical theatre. They normally get ill really quickly yeah. or they lose their voice really quickly because they haven't learned the techniques that you need to actually use. It's to, like a to crash do. course, isn't it? It's like you know if you get in a wrestling ring for the first time and you take a back bump, that chances are you're going to be winded. Yeah, you, you build up the tolerance to, yeah. to being able to do those sort of things. I now am lucky that I build up the tolerance to doing a two and a half hour show eight, so eight, like eight times a week, which is which is great. Um, but I'm now getting into that pocket where I'm like it's career transition time, uh, so I'm starting to direct a bit more. I'm directing uh, over Christmas this year, but you know the years of playing a 19 year old. Boy, let's be honest, they're behind me already. Um, I'm only just getting away with it at this point. Um, Good lighting. Yeah, great, great, great lighting. Uh, once you put the glasses on, nobody can see the cracks, it's fine. Um, but yeah, so, so that, that's, where, that's where we're up to now. So I've been on Buddy for on and off for the last eight years. There's some other musicals as well, Dreamboats and Peg, a lot, a lot of acting music stuff. Because nowadays, when I, when I graduated, it used to be that you had to be a triple threat actor, you had to sing, dance and act. Okay. Uh, and now it's got to be that you play instruments as well because so many shows now are actor musician shows mm. um, and A it's because there's not as much money in theatre as there was years ago because the kind of golden generation of theatre goers are for want of a better term literally dying off um, and even if you look at what's on in the West End now a lot of it are like tourist musicals they're like stuff that's more branded internationally like Aladdin or The Lion King or Mamma Mia you don't get as much like good exciting new theatre or musical theatre going into bigger theatres that's in the fringe that, it's kind of the equivalent of for those who think that the WWE is a little bit sterile they'll go mm, maybe I'll go and check out independent wrestling oh, yeah. that's where the new exciting stuff's coming through in the fringes and like all Edinburgh it's not necessarily in the West End which is the same comparison with, with you know, what a lot of people who are independent wrestling fans think about wrestling Got you all the Oscars in the movies and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you can go and watch an indie film and be like, that completely changed my life. Or you can sit and watch, I don't know, the, the girl on the train and go, that ah, book was better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I like that. So where does this love of musical <coughs> theatre come from? It, it wasn't really. It was, um, my, first, my first love was wrestling, then it was music. And I only got into acting because uh, I got, 
I was playing rugby a lot when I was kind of being groomed for what a position? career in rugby. Well, I started off uh, as a prop because I was a chunky little kid. Uh, and then I grew into myself uh, and I played as a second row for a little while. Um, then I played as a blindside flanker and then I got quite rapid and then I started playing as an outside centre, which is interesting because for the county, my uh, inside centre was Toby Flood, who then went on to play for England. Yeah, yeah. And, and like it's really weird watching the telly now to go like, Look at my career, musical theatre <laughs> and wrestling. And then Toby's ended up playing for England. And I'm like, he used to be crap. Never, could never throw a dummy. Um, so, I, so, yeah, so I, rugby was properly what I was into. And I went to um, Newcastle Royal Grammar School for two years, which was really not my scene. Um, but it was because it was like, it was rugby and it was, you know, it was great education, you know, with the private sector. And, uh, and my mum, she won't mind me saying this, she, uh, she pulled me out and uh, put me out private uh, schooling and uh, put me into Tamworth College um, and I said like, is there a reason why you don't want me to like, keep going to private school and she said yeah because it's turning you into a bit of a twat <laughs> I was like fair enough mum I mean I don't think it was like it wasn't the people around me it was just there were certain uh, ways that they, they they educate people that perhaps was less um, human than my mum wanted to. Okay. my mum we came from like Benton in Newcastle, which you know was it was great for somebody there to go into the Royal Grammar School, but uh, it was aside from rugby, I didn't really really working class yeah. area. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, Newcastle on the whole is like you know a very a very working class area. I mean, it's a, it's very uh, modernised and lots of the areas are gentrified now, but there's still a lot of poor areas in the northeast, and um, it's kind of like where the kinship with my missus, of course, because she's from Middlesbrough, like. That's the same kind of thing. So, like, uh, Smuggies and Geordies feel like that same kind of empathy towards each other because um, there's still a, a lot of uh, a lot of people on, on the, the poverty line there, and a lot of people yeah. who don't have the opportunities that I've had. Uh, which is why I'm, I'm entirely grateful now to be living a, like a, a dual career as well. Because not only do I get to do like the love of theatre, which came from uh, going to Tynemouth College, and I met my my drama tutor there. She got me involved in doing a pantomime there and then I did some plays and then I auditioned for drama school and by hook or by crook I got in uh, I think they would just take a punt on me at that point but um, incredibly now we sit here with 32 year old Glenn who's had like a 10 year career in musical theatre and gone well sometimes you have to take a punt on someone <laughs> yeah, do you know what I mean um, uh, so the musical theatre kind of came about I don't watch music like, I'll, I'll, I'm completely upfront about this I, I never go to watch musicals I can't stand to watch musicals because I'm hypercritical in the same way that you probably watch a wrestling match and you can dissect it and go oh well you know I would have gone to this there or, or maybe that's a bit too early or, or like you can take something from that and go well objectively in hindsight I would have done that differently I can't sit in a theatre and go "Who isn't this lovely I'm looking at the lights, I'm looking at, like, is the sound design off, like, are the costumes right, like, and, and not, that's before we even get to is the acting shite or not, so, um, uh, I can't sit in the theatre and watch it, because it's not entertainment to me anymore, and being in the entertainment industry sometimes can ruin your, uh, your enjoyment of the industry that you're in. Well, I think yeah. they're totally the same, like, I watch a show, I will sit and, and pick it apart and say what I think should happen, what shouldn't happen, and... I went to my first WrestleMania last year, uh, and the in-ring action was the, the, the least... And this, this kind of comes to where my position is in progress as well. 
the in-ring action for me was the least important. I didn't, I didn't watch the wrestling. I watched the producers on the floor, and I watched the way that they were interacting with the referees and what the referees were getting in their ears, and how the commentators were being fed and what was being run around the ring, and where the lighting guys were, and where the pyros were coming from, where the lights were coming from, where the spotlights were coming from, and how the sound was kind of engineered into such a big place. And I just sat there like a kid at Christmas, going, "This is incredible," because I'm not often in this environment. And I was, I could have just sat there with a pen and paper, going. If we ever got to this level, how would I put this together? <laughs> um, but it's, it, I find that part of it fascinating. The theatre of wrestling is really what I love. It's the theatricality, the storylines, how characters, for want of a better term, interact with one another, why they interact with each other, what you um, kind of drip feed for the future, the crumbs you leave in the past so that then you can hark back to them. Um, to me, I mean, it's just like when somebody asks me to describe fresh, not in, normally in theatre, when somebody asks me to describe professional wrestling, I'm like, well, it's just like EastEnders and Spandex. And that's, 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 that's exactly... We, we are, we're creating something that people should invest in in terms of not just, you know, guys doing incredibly incredible moves and beating the shit out of each other, but we want to invest in characters and stories and stuff that makes us kind of go... Like Jimmy, for example. You know, with Jimmy, with that, that run he had for us for, for years, that was... In, in, in my opinion, objectively as a fan, one of the best storylines that there has ever been, probably in, not just in British wrestling, but for a fan who, as, as I am, a fan of British wrestling, who wanted to, um, to, to follow it, and I'll tell you about how I started in, in British wrestling in a minute, that was what I was looking for. And me, Jim and John have always said that we wanted to write stories that we as wrestling fans wanted to invest yeah. in. At the level that we do, around 300 people or 700 people or 2,500 people, stories that work in that capacity because we don't have TV um, and we don't necessarily want TV but the TV product that WWE put on incredibly the fact that those writers have to write that much original material every single week is unbelievable and we can all slate that oh we didn't like that story or I'm not sure about that writing those guys have so much to write all the time yeah. uh, and even uh, when we started to run more shows we started to panic because we're like oh we're going to have to churn out more stories we're going to have to you know, uh, get into this um, those guys are absolutely like uh, just unreal. It's no wonder that the the kind of lifespan for a writer in the WWE is so short. Because even comparable to writing, like if you take somebody who wrote Friends, was that twenty four episodes in a season? Yep. But that's twenty four episodes, twenty minute programs, and once they're written, they're written. It's not. They also had th- like six to eight months off, so they could actually compile everything yeah. together. Uh, not. You finish on Monday, then you go right. So where we're going Monday, where we're going the Monday after that, where we're going on the pay per view, where we're going like you know, there's other stuff as well that they've got to um, think about with building up you know like other little brands and superstars and all the other shows that go injuries on injuries and oh yeah absolutely I've always said that as an independent professional wrestling promoter one of the, the the things I'd love is if you just gave me a roster of people I knew I would have for a year and that way you can write these incredible stories. Being an independent wrestling promoter is slightly different because you never know who you're going to lose to injury, who you're going to lose to the big boys, yep. because that, that's the nature of the beast. And, um, uh, uh, similar to Gabe Spolsky, I am never, ever going to step in the way of somebody moving up to make a shit ton of money in wrestling because it's out there. Um, and at the moment, we're, we're getting to a level where we could maybe go full-time in the future, but we're not there yet. I'd love to be able to offer people like full-time contracts. Yeah. That'd be great, and then make my life a lot easier <laughs> because then you've got people who are like nailed in. You can write stories for them, um, uh, and again, like injuries. That's that's got to be. If you're a writer for the WWE and you're you know writing something down for 
I don't know, somebody's story arc for six months, say Seth Rollins, for example, yep. and you've like, this is nailed, this is going to be amazing, we're going to build to this all the way through the summer, and then we're going to get Survivor Series, and then we're going to pick a bug up and go to WrestleMania with it, and then he blows out his knee on the house show. You've got to be like, just throwing your papers in the air, do you know what I mean? And it's not, I'm not saying that we're devaluing somebody getting injured, it's just that guy has that job with those personnel, which is why The Miz is my favourite wrestler, because The Miz, you can guarantee... And I loved the whole segment that he had with Daniel Bryan. I thought that was absolute money. Yep. Dear God, if Daniel Bryan could still wrestle, that would have been incredible. But I thought he was a very astute work or shoot. Well, it doesn't matter what it was. It was entertainment. But him basically saying, the reason why I work the way I do is so that I can work every single day and not hurt myself. And I remember sitting there going, wow, nobody's ever actually said that from the WWE perspective. Nobody's actually said, yeah, I was a product of reality TV. But... I work incredibly safe. And guess what? My shine's my entrance anyway, so... <laughs> so where does this love of wrestling come from? I went to see, uh, after WrestleMania 9, which was the first WrestleMania I ever watched, which I, I must have watched it until, like, it, like, it started to get, like, marks on the, on the cassette tape. I watched it so many times. It wasn't the... It was the greatest WrestleMania of all time, but it was my first... It was your WrestleMania? It, absolutely. And my, a friend of my dad used to tape them off Sky Sports, which we didn't have at the time. And then I used to do them. Them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I was just captivated by it. And it was, again, that was a very theatrical WrestleMania because it was Caesar's Palace and there was the whole toga thing yep. and what have you. Um, and then I went to go and see them at Whitley Bay Ice Rink. Uh, and the main event was Bret Hart versus Bam Bam Bigelow. And it had the Steiner Brothers versus Money Inc. And, and I was just, like, completely... Blown away with it, like it was, it was the live experience was incredible, um, and so I, I got into it for years and years and years. And I used to do these things called, uh, is it e feds, where you basically write promos for people, uh, like a made up character that you had, and you'd write promos for them, and then they'd be put into like a, a, a match generator, yeah, and got then you. they'd like come out with like a excuse me a pay per view, and you'd like. And I remember my, my dad actually took the internet, old, old 56k internet, he took it out because I was spending so long just writing promos. Like, that, I didn't know that's what I was writing at the time, but just like... Just storyline. Yeah, storyline. And, 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 and it's, it's the same way with like, now I understand in, in when you're uh, learning a script, uniting. So it's thought processes. And that's, a, it's a, I was kind of learning when I was a kid like stuff I, I tell guys who maybe aren't so happy, like comfortable with promos now is that you just need to unit into thought processes because if you get lost you just need to go well what's my thought process how do I get to the next bit and most of the time you can budge your way through it um, and that's, that's, that's what, um, uh, what I really got into uh, and I, I enjoyed watching wrestling for years and then about it was when Randy Orton won the world title for the first time 2004 yep I was sat on a bus in Newcastle and I opened a, a paper that somebody left, and it was like when they just started to have, was it the Mirror, I think, that just started their... their um, Fighting uh, talk. Yeah. And it said that Randy Orton won the world title. I was like, God, I haven't watched wrestling in years. And I just, I just kind of like, I can't remember the moment I became disinterested in it, but uh, it wasn't really... The, it was kind of the, the Attitude Era was incredible. I remember watching, I watched it, rewatched it the other night, like um, uh, Rock and Foley at Royal Rumble where he hits yeah. with all the chair shots and what have you. Uh, and I think that was probably just after that where my, my interest started to wane. So anyway, 2004, I started to watch, like to actively watch it but not necessarily enjoy it. And I wanted to re-find my love for it. Okay. But I didn't 
I didn't find it as compelling as I did a few years ago. So I retrospectively went back and started watching old ECW from Eastern Championship Wrestling. Okay. So where it like evolved into the Shane Douglas thing into into ECW, um, and then uh, I always watched Nitro over Raw, and this is a very and Jim Swan still takes the piss out of me uh, to this day about this. When when I was younger, I used to watch Nitro over Raw because Nitro was genuinely like ninety seven ninety eight. You didn't know what was going to happen, and I'm I, not in the way in 2001. You didn't know what was going to happen because they didn't know what was going to happen. <laughs> but in the way that, like, I was found it so compelling. And uh, I think it was Friday nights that Raw was on uh, on, on Sky, and then they had on, on um, not TNN TNT. Yeah, and it was just like my dad. You'd watch TNT. He'd watch the old Westies, the old like um, cowboy films, and then he'd be like, "Why is there wrestling on?" And it. To us, as like young wrestling fans, we were like, why is wrestling on TNT? Not knowing, of course, the Turner Network deal that yeah, they all yeah, had on, what have you. Um, so anyway, going back to when I started to re-watch it, um, I graduated from drama school in 2007, and I was properly into it then. Like, really, really into it. Um, and uh, I decided to uh, go and learn how to be a wrestler. Because I was in pretty good shape when I finished from drama school. Um, and I contacted the British Wrestling Council. So I used to spend hours, hours researching what, you know, where, where places were. And there didn't seem to be any training in central London, which is where I moved okay. to when I graduated. So I contacted the British, British Wrestling Council. Um, and I spoke to a gentleman. Uh, and, <laughs> and he said that there would be training this uh, Sunday in Wembley. And I was like, okay, that's fine. I didn't sleep the night before. Uh, I was so nervous. Who was the gentleman? Um, uh, Do you want to say it? His first name's Alex. Okay, yeah, okay, everyone knows who he is, then it's fine. Um, and, uh, said, yeah, mate, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, wrestling will be on on a, on a Sunday, mate, yeah, Wembley, yeah, yeah, I'll see you there, see you there. All right, okay, yeah, turned up. Uh, and nobody there. Uh, apart from another kind of rotund Italian guy, whose face I can still see now. Um, <laughs> and I was like, leaned out the car and went, mate, is, um, is the wrestling on? And he was like, uh, yeah, I'm just waiting to, 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 for them to open up. And around the guy, no answer, around the guy, no answer, around the guy. Eventually he goes, all right, mate. But yeah, um, is there any, any wrestling training on today? No, mate, it's cancelled. I was like, well, you told me a couple of days ago, like, I rang you specifically to make sure that this was on. He was like, no, mate, oh, it's cancelled. And just hung up on me and I thought, this is a sign. This is a sign that somebody really doesn't want me to, because I've been G'd up for it for years. And the thing is, with signing with my agent, She'd gone outside of working. There wasn't meant to. I, I had to give up playing rugby. That was one of their conditions because in case I got hurt yep. and then couldn't do jobs. Um, no, like no, like combat sports of any time uh, of any type, rather. And I thought, well, I can just about get away with it with, with with pro wrestling. And I'd always wanted to do it. I'd always wanted to be a pro wrestler. I mean, I remember being 11 years old and like pretending I was the million dollar man, like, <laughs> just like climbing up my mum's sofa and holding up like a homemade belt made of cardboard. I think like, the fact that you weren't to be the biggest villain of all time of course says, it is. says, says, no, says no, everything. Everyone's got a natural disposition. Everyone, you, you either want to be a blue eye or you want to be a bad guy. And I never ever wanted to be a blue eye. Um, so uh, I just, I, that, that, that day I went, right, do you know what? I don't think this is for me, and I've still, I, the, the knee pads that I bought, I, they went under the bed, they're still in my spare room, my house now, um, and uh, I just kind of gave up on it. But I, I went to shows, um, and I tried to see uh, British wrestling as best I could, but the only 
ones that get to a, a RQW at your call. Okay. So I'm one of those people who paid for to see a Man Man Manson. Of course, Man Man Manson was on the bill um, with a tin of pineapple chunks because he had, uh, whoever was promoting at the time, probably the same guy. Um, uh, I said there was like Harvest Festival theme or something. It was like a charity event. Okay. So that if you donated like tinned goods, it was like free entry to the show. And I remember I watched Seamus O'Shaughnessy versus Drew McIntyre. Dude, I think it was like a a 30 minute draw or something and it was just an incredible match and I was just so disappointed there were so few people there and this is at your call and now Andy Quilden man is filling your call all yeah. the time turning people away yeah absolutely uh, and then the next time I went I went to go see the great Muta uh, and I was again I was just like you could almost see like when he took the mask off and blew the, the, the gimmick out and looked around he's like fuck it's everyone this is weird um, and, and that kind of it started me thinking about British wrestling because I've read a little bit about 1PW and I've become a little bit of like an, an internet wrestling fan at this yeah. point. And, uh, I'd read about the, the, the stuff that had gone on there and it just blew my mind that... Because I, coming from the theatre industry, we have so much in place in terms of health and safety and in terms of looking after people in terms of you know how producers treat directors, how directors treat casts, how company managers treat casts, you know, how we all interact with each other on tour. So then when I would read about the goings-on in wrestling, I was like, how do people get away with this? Like, for, for, for years it seemed that people just got away with shafting people or going, oh, we didn't make much on the door so I can only pay you this much. That's not how the entertainment industry works. That's not how we are, work works. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, not, we're highly skilled. Anybody who goes to work is a highly skilled member of staff because they would have been chosen to do that job. Talking about the entertainment industry in particular, like every single person in the show has at least trained for three years, normally in a degree course or whatever, at exactly their craft. They've spent years doing this, and we're given the opportunity by the people who work with us on stage, whether they be stage managers, you know, people moving props, people tuning guitars, they give us the best possible start that we can to go out there and manipulate an audience yeah, yeah. and, and that's, what, that's all you know, acting and performing is, is it's manipulating people you want people to feel an emotion whatever it is whether they want, you want to boo them whether you want to cheer them whether you want to fall in love with them whether you want to fall in love with a relationship that's happening on stage you know that's, that's what we're, we're trying to do and the structure behind us in theatre has always been that it's very professional um, and I just couldn't get my head round that that wasn't being translated to wrestling so that's why when I went to the first progress show, and I, I went to it on a whim. As a fan? As a fan. Okay. So uh, I was working for a Formula One team at the time as a presenter. Weird, weird job. Absolutely wonderful. Um, and I'd been out the night before with a couple of friends of mine in North London. I never got, I think it was Shoreditch, which is the sort of place that, you know, you look like you probably frequent, but not me. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and uh, I had my drink spiked the night before I stand somebody's story the other day actually and I was rotten I stayed up all night just like no idea what it was felt absolutely terrible but I had these tickets uh, for punk rock pro wrestling progress and you got a free t-shirt on the way in, which had the card on the back and I was like I really liked the branding it was all on the internet and I, just found, I can't even remember how I found out about it but me and a couple of friends went along and I sat in the front row and feeling really really rough obviously because I hadn't slept from the night before I just remember watching it going, this is everything that I was trying to find at your call. And this is everything that I've been trying to find for years in like researching British wrestling. Or, um, 
or, or even just just watching wrestling on telly, like watching the old TWC, like the wrestling um, channel. Yeah, the wrestling yeah, yeah. channel. Yeah, watching like Irish Whip Wrestling and FWA. I used to buy FWA DVDs back in the day. FWA. I used, I used to wake up at seven o'clock every morning to watch Irish Whip Wrestling on the wrestling. Did channel. you really? Yeah, I did. Amazing. Before I went to school, <laughs> seeing like really young guys who now like have had incredible careers. Um, uh, yeah. So. so um, where was I? I've been hitting the head too many times. You were, uh, it was everything, everything you loved about oh. wrestling. Oh yeah, and I saw Jim, uh, and, he, and after the, it finished, and Jim was like, just, I remember him pounding the ring and just being like, because him and John had taken a big risk, risk on doing this. And I got in contact with them, and they needed somebody to present their web show. And I did that, and then we and Jim became very, we had a lot of mutual friends, we became very close, we became very close with John. Uh, and instead of just doing like, um, the uh, the web shows we we started to write together we started to talk about booking we started to talk about stories and what we liked about wrestling and we realised that we all uh, um, liked the same things and so I came on board as, as a partner and so the three of us and then uh, me and John set up the training school um, and then we started running Endeavour um, and it all just kind of it got to a level where one day we could all go right well, we're now going to start running this the same way that we wanted or we want our uh, employers to look after us. Yeah. Um, and we've tried as, 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 as best we can within the, the, the confines of everything we've done to be uh, a professional, professional wrestling company. Um, and I think that what's happening now in British wrestling is that the spotlight is on us, and we've discussed this before privately, spotlight is on us so much from the big boys that we have to do business the correct way because there is no room for people to just kind of go oh well we'll, we'll just we'll, we'll quote unquote get away with this or, or this will do it has to be run with respect to the guys who wrestle for us with respect to the guys who uh, film for us who do everything from, the, from, like, from, from every level we want to be as professional as possible and give people the best opportunity to go forward and make shit loads of money in wrestling yeah um, and we're very lucky to have our links with the WWE obviously we had it with like the, the Cruiserweight Classic those matches as well you know yeah I'm, <laughs> which I'm very very grateful <laughs> for didn't turn out how I liked but <laughs> well yeah, I mean you've had better days I have um, uh, and, and now we're, we're we're at a position with progress where now we're going to America like that's that's incredible the fact that so many it's, it's, it's almost like the tables have turned a little bit and I'm so pleased they have because I, I understand the need for the Leisure Centre shows that have big names that come in from yesteryear of WWE to sell it to, to a different audience to sell it to kids to sell you know foam fingers and to, to, to do the, the shows where um, you just want kids to enjoy themselves or families to enjoy themselves and it's not so um, it's not so uh, well it's not it isn't, it isn't offensive it's fairly inoffensive um that's not the wrestling that I, as a 32-year-old man, want to watch. So that's why I always try and keep progress uh, the way it is. But the fact now that, that that whole situation we had of Americans coming over, it's no disrespect to them. They were being invited over because they were a star on TV to sell tickets in the UK. It seems now that the UK wrestlers are so popular that it's almost like Beatlemania. Now, those guys going over there is drawing as much or more for the, the US companies. Like our relationship with Smash, they approached us. They're a brilliant company, I love Smash. 
But they approached us and said, we need something that's going to make our company different within a market where there are lots of wrestling companies. And the Progress brand going over there kind of tipped them over the edge with that. Yeah. Because one thing I would say to any young promoter as well is, have great talent, but have very clear branding. We, we're never going to put on a show that's going to be an all-ages show. Um, we're not going to put on something that's catered towards kids because that's not our demographic. We're not going to all of a sudden one day in the Buddy Holly story start playing Metallica because that's going to go oh, because somebody might like that's a ridiculous example but um, that's not the market that we aim at. No. at. We aim at a certain age demographic who like certain things um, and I think that our, our clear branding means that any other company in the world that wants to work with us goes we know what that company are straight away. You see that, that big circle with the eagle in the middle and immediately you see that. And if you see that on anybody's CV, then you know that they probably are good enough to wrestle for you as an independent company yeah. if you've wrestled a progress. Um, and I don't say that with any sense of arrogance. I'm not saying like, oh, we're the worst company in the world. But we do have the best guys. We have the best group of wrestlers in the world wrestling for us. But it's like if somebody comes from a training school and you go, okay, if the training school's got a good reputation, they go, yeah. I'll take Dragon Pro for example. You look at you look at it. You're from Wales. You go, okay, who, who trained you? Mike Bird, Mike Hitchman. They've got to be good then, because ninety percent of the people, ninety-five percent of the people who have come out and done anything from that school are good, and yeah. they can do all the basics. Do it. But it is generally like that. Well, Dragon Pro is an example I was going to use. Is that uh, if somebody sends us a CV, I mean, obviously we get sent stuff all the time. I imagined. And, and yeah, and to anyone who has sent something in uh, and we haven't replied to it, it's nothing personal. It's probably just because. If we don't see something like Dragon Pro, again, it's another parallel with theatre. If you're a casting director and you have 25 CVs in front of you, and three of them say RADA, on another couple say GSA, and another couple say like uh, drama schools you've never heard of, if you can only audition five people, you can guarantee the people who haven't trained at the accredited drama schools that you know of are going to go in the bin. Yeah, they could be far superior wrestlers, called far superior performers in our case, um, but. You've got it. You've got to be willing to go to places that give you the best possible training. Um, I, 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 it's, it's, it's exactly the same parallel with theatre. Um, you have to put the the, the, the time and the effort in. Uh, and I've now learned that through stuff I've done with the, the Progress Wrestling Training School, and like the Projo, I've learned that there are certain uh, things you have to eat shit and like it sometimes. I've had to do a lot of that. I've had to do a lot of unpaid fringe theatre when I first started out to try and like earn my chops. Um, and you do have to do it because it's like being an apprentice. Uh, you're you're learning your craft on the job. Yeah. Um, I also firm I forget that nobody actually learns how to drive until they've actually passed their test. Because Central- being on being on the road on your own and actually being out there and going, oh no, nobody with the uh, the dual brakes here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All, this is all down to me. Hundred um, percent. I think that's, that's what happens in wrestling and you have to you have to get out there and you have to work with people who and be given the opportunity to work with people who are more experienced uh, who can help you through that um, what was what was your first did you ever have a lightning bolt moment where you were in the ring with somebody and you went oh now I get it uh, there's little bits and pieces so um, I think I had a few matches and especially being in Wales it was the same circle of people I ran around with so I was in the ring with uh, Wild Boars, in the ring with Mark Andrews a lot, mm-hmm. and I repeatedly done that over and over again, really, because that was just how the Welsh scene was. 
and then the attack boys wasn't getting a lot of work, so we kind of ended up just mingling in there. But the one, and I've probably sung his praises a million times already, right, is Pete Dunn. Yeah. I can remember having a match with Pete Dunn. The two ma- well, one match was down in attack, and I had a ladder match with Pete. Mm. And I remember coming from it, I, and to be honest with you, I hadn't had, a, in my opinion, a match I was happy with at attack up until then. And I had it, come backstage, I was beaming over it, and I understood it and I got it. And I think we had one more somewhere else, and we sat down afterwards, we chatted about how we put it together. And then when I went and worked for you guys for uh, against Josh Bodum, yeah. Pete had sat with me a week or two before, and we had talked about how to put it together. And I went in with that match with Josh, and he was far, Josh had far more experience than me mm. in these big match situations. And he was trying to put it together, and I went, you're wrong. I was like, it needs to be put together like this, because, right. because Peter told me. And I went there, and at the end of the match, Josh came up to me and went, you're 100% right. And it was that point where I went, I get this now, I understand how it needs to be pieced together. Yeah. And I think that's really what, why it really frustrated me then, that Pete wasn't being used other places, but he had been the reason that I'd done so well, because he'd kind of taught me it. Of course, it was because he hadn't branded himself properly, and now he has. He's absolutely, absolutely taken over the world, so... But as much as I say to promoters, I've said to, to, to young wrestlers as well, or even older wrestlers who haven't done it, is that if you if you clearly brand yourself, then you make... It's, it's even coming down to merchandise. I mean, like, Progress is practically a clothing brand now as well. Yeah. Because people love the designs and they love the branding. And, and you know, I remember when I saw that, that Bruiserweight logo that he had for the first time with the, the, I think with the bear on, and I thought, yes, that is perfect now that now we know what brand Pete Dunn is um, and it was a great a great phrase as, as well like, I, lo- I love the phrase of Bruiserweight but Pete's, in- Pete's incredible and Pete's one of those guys who over the last few years you know you've, you've watched from maybe doing matches where there's been so many falsies and just like, in- in- like you're just going oh it's Super Indy 5000 you know like, it's, it's, it's an incredible accomplishment but maybe didn't make as much logical, theatrical sense in terms of not only the match itself, but its position on the card. Yeah. Because we are the circus. That's what I always describe the, the individual show as. You don't want to watch the Lion Tamer seven times. That's true. If you go to the circus, you're going to need the clowns to go out there at some point. Um, and you're going to need like, just little variants because otherwise we're now appealing, especially as brand progress, to a larger market. And a market that maybe are just sucking it and seeing with wrestling for the yeah. first time. Or maybe even people who see a huge queue on Camden High Street on a Sunday morning and go, why are all these people so into this? And then maybe pick up a you know, flyer or pick up a go on the internet and go, oh, punk rock pro wrestling, yeah, I'll give that a go. They come in there for the first time, we have to give them a little bit of everything, otherwise they'll be like, oh, it's just big guys hitting each other. I mean, yeah. we have big guys hitting each other, but we also have small guys flying about the place. Yeah. And we also have incredibly talented women who aren't put out there as kind of sexual objects and are actually respected in the same way that the boys are and put on incredible matches. Um, and then you've got your characters as well, the likes of, you know, and not don't say just characters to demean their wrestling ability, but brand Jimmy Havoc. Incredible brand, Marty Skill, brand Mark Haskins. You know those those kind of like those main event guys at least at the moment for us. Uh, and obviously Mark's Mark's injured at the moment. And those those are really clear things that you can invest in straight away. Brixton was a really big kind of headache for us because we knew that potentially a thousand people there had never watched it before. 
So as well as it being our biggest show and wanting to put on the best possible matches that we could and uh, tell these stories or start stories or round off stories, we had to make it accept- like the buddy cast came to see it and they sat up at the back and it was really interesting to talk to them afterwards because they don't know anything about wrestling. And they, like Kerry, who plays my wife in this, was like, when did, and she texted me during the show saying, when do the girls come back out? And I was like, <laughs> they're, they're only going to be out once. She said, no, no, I want, I want more girls wrestling. And I was like, okay, cool. She went, uh, and then I explained to her about, well, there are like wrestling shows where they're all girls and you go and see them, like Eve, for example. Yeah. And, and she was like, oh, okay, I'll check them out. And I thought, that was interesting for me that she just, just caught onto that and, and went, oh, I might actually, I enjoyed the women's match, so I'm going to go and find that somewhere else. And it's a little, like, from progress, she's now, like, going to see others, whether she has or not. But then you can also think to yourself, <coughs> okay, if that's the case, because you're always building your head, okay, you have a women's match on the show, but now you can look forward and go, okay, so we're going to have two women's match next show yeah. going forward, because it's not just an attraction, it's something that somebody really enjoys and you can, you can, broke, you can put two on. Yeah. And, they, and they, hold, they hold their own amongst the rest of the men as well. Do you know one of the things that the, the buddy cast remember the most from Brixton? Was Pete and Trent giving everybody the finger. <laughs> and literally even before the last, uh, the last show in Clear Lake, when the curtain's down, the whole cast from that Brixton show, it's just become like a, uh, like a throwback from, from there. Everybody will flip each other off just as the curtain goes up and they will start playing and it's come from that because they said it was what and this is why those little things like Austin Austin drinking beer and throwing middle fingers that's branding yeah and that, that the whole middle finger thing with like Trent and Pete and obviously you know it's gone on from, from the evolution of regression and Paul Robinson as well that was what they remembered they didn't remember people getting dropped on their heads they didn't remember people going through tables they remembered Two and a half thousand people giving Trent and Pete the finger back and going, this is incredible. This is like gang culture. <laughs> and those little things, those little moments that you create, that lightning in a bottle, that tiny little moment could resonate with somebody more than diving off the top of a cage or, or getting you know, dropped headfirst through a table. If you've got something, and again, it's the theatricality of it or it's those, those little nuances. Trent is an incredible character. Trent Seven's my favourite character in British wrestling at the moment. Um, for the little things, like before he punched Tyler in the face, if you watch him, the first time he'd ever just turned his moustache down. Those tiny little things that you may not think, as a wrestler, mean a lot. But to somebody who is seeing it for the first time, or, so, or more, moreover, somebody who's really invested in wrestling and loves it, those are those little bits they wait for. Those tiny little moments where they go... Ah, that's lightning in a bottle. And it's that sort of stuff that people like William Regal and Gabe Sapolsky and Triple H, that when they see it, you may be able to do everything in the ring as better or as, as good or, or, than anyone else can. But if you've got that little something that separates you from the pack, that's marketable. Just want to take a minute from our conversation with Glenn Joseph this week to chat to you about Parts Unknown, who of course are our sponsors. Parts Unknown .co.uk offer a massive range of exclusive wrestling merchandise from some of the best in British wrestling. The likes of Jimmy Havoc, New Nation, Ryan Smile, Pastor William Eva, Martina the Session Moth, and of course yours truly have exclusive wrestling merch over there at great prices. So if you're a wrestler and you're looking for the best place to maybe design, print, and even stock your merchandise without you having to do any of the work, 
but be cutting at some of the best prices around. Or maybe you're a fan looking for the exclusive merchandise from some of the best in British wrestling. Then head over to Parts Unknown now and either place order or sign up today. Oh, and if you are a fan looking for the best bit of kit, be sure to use the promo code FLASH for a cheeky 10% off. Thanks Parts Unknown, you've tore it apart. Do you love watching British wrestling on demand? Do you wish there was a one-stop shop for all your favourite British indies with only a one-monthly payment? Well, now there is. UKWrestlingOnDemand.com The only on-demand subscription service designed to give you as many UK wrestling companies in one place for a fixed price of just $3.99 a month. See every show from Pro Wrestling Chaos, including documentaries and Q&As with Chris Hero and Hardcore Holly. Every show from Triple X Wrestling. Yeah, that's right, Triple X Wrestling. For over a decade, these guys were a staple in the British scene, providing a unique over-18s approach with a unique creative direction, as well as recognising the talent of the future. Where you can see the early beginnings of the likes of Zack Sabre Jr. as he takes on the likes of Daniel Bryan and Loki. A newly added UPW with their latest show featuring Japanese legend Ultimo Dragon. New promotions are due to be added in the new year, so don't delay. Sign up to UKWrestlingOnDemand.com today for a unique experience at a one-off price. Thanks, UKWrestlingOnDemand.com. You've tore it apart. Have you se- you've seen, obviously seen the uh, Champa Gargano versus Revival match mm. from them. My absolute favourite part of the entire thing is they cheat behind the referee's back, he rolls out and then he grabs the tag rope just as the referee turns back around so yep. they can tag back in. So literally all they're saying is, yep, we've cheated. Now the referee's looking, we're playing the game. So he could have just put his hand out and tagged, but he made sure he grabbed back that tag rope so when the referee turned back around, it looked like they were playing the game. Yeah. And literally, I just sat there going, they are geniuses. <laughs> Absolute geniuses. <coughs> um, th- yeah, there's, there's a lot to be said for that. Um, my, little, my little things recently have been anything that Jericho does. Because is, is, he, he's a panto villain. You, you know that he's brilliant, uh, but you invest in him because of the the wonderful gimmick of the gift of Jericho the the scarf and one of my favourite moments in wrestling this year again is not from from a wrestling match it's just where Kevin Owens took the scarf off him and then threw it away like those tiny little things that just come from I tell you what where, and this is with, with all respect to, to the WWE you don't learn that in the performance centre you learn that in independent wrestling in front of a crowd and you've learned those little things that make your you as a character give you nuance based on experience falling on your ass millions and millions of times yeah messing it up loads of times like I play the guitar behind my head in this you better believe I've played that thousands of times wrong before I played it right like perfectly and I remember the first night I played it the right all the way through and went well that's it I've done it now like that's, that's ridiculous but so many times it went wrong and so many times like in rehearsal why, that's why there are rehearsals in theatre that's one thing that I I find difficult to separate sometimes in independent professional wrestling and theatre is that there isn't a director as such at our level whereas sometimes I think that for the benefit of the show there should be a director there should be somebody who is actually putting together the show with everybody in a room together but again, you know, when people are travelling from all over the country yeah. and it's on show day, it's never as easy as having a cast yeah, assembled already. So you work within the confines of what you're given. Uh, and the other thing's rehearsals. So for me, if I was to be uh, going into the ring now, I would have to, Macho Man Randy Savage, rehearse everything beforehand in order to create magic. But that means that I wouldn't be able to work 
on the fly with the audience. Yeah. And that's why I have the utmost respect for yourself and, and all of the boys who do it, who just put some together and then go, right, the rest will leave to the audience and work off the crowd. That, to me, is phenomenal. Uh, and I, I, couldn't, I can't work like that. I have to go on stage and work to a script. Yeah. Uh, same, same thing with stand-up comedians. I have a huge amount of respect for Jim because when I, the amount of time I've watched him perform and he's just taking something and rift with it, I sometimes go, I, if something goes wrong in the show, I can do stuff on the fly. But I can't just do an entire sketch based on somebody's occupation. Or or somebody something. coming in late. Or something, yeah. yeah. I, I, but again, it comes back to experience because the longer you do that, the more opportunity you have for the three times you've tried it and it hasn't landed, the next time that it happens, you'll go, I know exactly what to do. Yeah. And I think that's the same in wrestling. Um, that you, need, you need to be uh, to be putting yourself out there and, and watching as much as possible. Uh, I know that it's fine for me to say that I don't watch wrestling. I watch the bits in between wrestling. That's because those are the bits that I'm, I invest in as, as, a, as a punter. Those are the things that I want to, uh, to embellish in progress because those are the bits that link everything together. Uh, and I, and I, want, I want it to be story-based. Um, me, Jim and John uh, are, are great as uh, promoters together because we all bring something different to it. And that's why I think it works. I want it all to be theatrics. Uh, Jim wants it to be incredibly strong wrestling. Uh, and, and John wants to make money. <laughs> <laughs> So, which, is, which is good. Which is good. <laughs> and, and also, that, that's a, another thing as well. We, we treat progress like a business and run it like a business. Because the more that we can do that, the more chance there is, is that we can give people uh, a better, a, even just to, to, to on a very base level, a better wage than they're yeah. getting. Uh, um, or maybe even a retainer or eventually a contract. There's something that has just not been Mark, Mark Dallas is absolutely killing it with ICW and again I look at them and go they're doing it the correct way the business structure is correct um, and you know they're now going to be in, what in next week in front of how many 5,000 uh, speaking to and it'll, it'll, this will go out afterwards but speaking yeah. to uh, Coach Tripp uh, mm-hmm. he turned and said that at the moment it looks like they should hit 7,000 that's incredible um I, I, I'm actually I'm, I'm going up north to see my missus so I wouldn't, I wouldn't get a chance to see it but it's, it's like the, the people in uh, British professional wrestling sometimes want to stir the pot as well just remember that if everybody's doing well there's more eyes on all of us and that's incredible and you know, I, 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 your conversation with Joe Coffey was talking about Fergal coming back like that's unbelievable ridiculous I remember I like because I'm, I'm me and Fergal are quite close and messaged him that, like, immediately after that uh, that happened and he was just like yeah mate it's mad absolutely mad uh, and he sent me a video of the reaction at least one of the boys had taken the video of yeah. the reaction and, and me as a wrestling fan went that is unbelievable that is that those moments and Mark did such a good way of setting it up it was like absolutely fabulous and I I, I think this, this is what's really, really funny to us as well, is that when people try and stir the pot between promotions in, in the UK, the, you need to understand as a fan, we are not in competition with other companies. We are there to give you different choices. Because 
you're going to buy ICW t-shirts and wear them to progress shows if you love ICW. And you're going to buy progress t-shirts and wear them to ICW if you love progress. But that isn't you going, fuck this company. It's me going, I love British wrestling. And that's what's happening now. People love British wrestling. And I don't think any one promoter who's worth their salt in this country has anything bad to say about other brands who are killing it. Andy Quillen's killing it. Stephen Flood is killing it. Mark Dallas is killing it. I'd like to think that we're killing it as well. There are other like promotions out there that are doing incredibly as well on smaller scales, but attack. I'd love to go to an attack show. Uh, I've been to Fight Club a couple of times now, and every time I've just been like, this is what progress felt like when it was at the, yeah. the garage. Um, uh, but we have to, again, as a business, we'd love to still have that that punk rock feel in the garage I think we've got it at the electric ballroom I think we amazingly found it at Brixton Academy as well but our fear is with expansion as well is that we don't want to uh, make it feel different to how we want the brand to be and if we started doing arenas and started doing you know certain places it doesn't it isn't, it isn't the the vibe that we want um I think that maybe that Fight Club are going to find that shortly with as they get bigger and they get more eyes on them so that they need to find venues uh, it's actually easier in the Midlands than it is in London because Jesus we must have been to every venue in London trying to find um, and a lot of places don't want wrestling that's another thing maybe that wrestling fans don't think about is that uh, A you need the correct license and B some places still view wrestling as a dirty word there's a very very succinct reason why Vince McMahon chose to rebrand the WWE sports entertainment and it's because wrestling became a dirty word um, and it's not a dirty word to me I love the word wrestling I think wrestling stands up for everything that I've loved since I was nine years old um, but I can understand why a company of that magnitude who, who are producing movie stars want to call it that yeah. and I think it's a shrewd business move um, there's so many good companies in the UK now man like if, if I wasn't working every Saturday night and every Friday night then I, I think there, there isn't an area I go to in the country where I couldn't find a show within an hour's drive yeah. that's going to really like kick ass. There's some great stuff out there. Speaking, uh, if I go back a little bit, speaking about you say putting yourself out there, <coughs> yeah. well, when was the conscious decision and why did you make the conscious decision to go from being backstage off camera, because apart from doing the videos online you were not really in the public eye, yeah. to becoming commentator at Progress? Well, Jim was doing it on his own. Um, and Jim's style was very minimal, and it was all—it was almost like, um, like reflective commentary. It was like, uh, it was like little little bits here and there. Um, and we decided to go live uh, to make it quicker for the edits as well, because live commentary means that we don't have to then find a time to go back and rewatch the show and do the commentary in post. Yeah. So doing live commentary was was great, and I think it's it's interesting with, with myself. Uh, and, and depending who's, who's jumped in, Marjay Singh, of course, uh, Callum Leslie uh, does some of the shows as well. Um, I being involved in the creative side of it, and my job is to tell stories without you knowing that I'm telling you stories, and that's the art of being a commentator. Vince McMahon used to do it really well. I mean, he didn't know a move, but it didn't really matter because what he was doing was he was setting up stories. People have a go at Michael Cole a lot. Michael Cole's got an incredibly hard job. He's the man. Because now not only is he telling the stories, not only is he calling what's happening in the ring, 
He's getting a constant barrage in his ear, and also he's pushing branding, he's pushing the network, he's pushing everything that he's told to push within the confines of a show where he's essentially just there to call a wrestling match. He tweets live throughout the show as well. Unbelievable. He can be talking about something while tweeting about something else. I can't even write my name while I'm in a conversation with somebody. I know that for years it's always been like that Michael Cole was, the, um, was there to take a pot shot at, but the man is incredible really? for, the, for the amount of, the, the volume of work he does. Um, and uh, I mean, the, there's lots of other great great commentators. I had the, the luxury to um, commentate with Excalibur when we were in uh, uh, Dallas, when we had Marty versus Will at WrestleCon. Yeah. Uh, and just, he was just so excited. And, and obviously, he, 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 incredible calling. My big thing is that I get so excited about what's going on or I start thinking about the story so much is that I forget the names of moves. <laughs> the amount of time I've called the dragon suplex, the tiger suplex, and vice versa, honestly. Um, that's the worst thing I'm doing I think I'm doing alright but um, I think uh, we've actually got quite solid with the commentary now on uh, on progress because it's it's there by design and I think a lot of what is great about wrestling is not realising something till later that was dropped earlier on that's why like there's a lot more to the brand a lot more to what we put out there sometimes that people actually see at face value uh, that's that's what we want we yeah. want to make it exciting and interesting and always have people thinking and always have people uh, you know trying to analyse stuff and that's what wrestling fans do on the whole if you're really really into it you do break down every little thing and go what do they mean by that um, but uh, no it was it was, uh, it was by, by, by circumstance really uh, we wanted to record it live and I thought because uh, I talk a lot um, this is probably the, the best idea that I do because John can't speak uh, <laughs> has, has no vocal cords um, and Jim does uh, an incredible Jim's in my opinion the best hype man in, in with the exception of Jeremy Borash probably the best hype man in wrestling like Jim adds something to our shows yeah. that if, if he wasn't there progress wouldn't be progress but saying that if John wasn't there progress wouldn't be progress either because nothing would ever get done me and Jim can't book flights <laughs> You're talking about, um, uh, but John is uh, John's definitely, in, in my opinion, the hardest working man in British wrestling because it is now like just him all day long dealing with emails, post outs, uh, flights, accommodation, uh, insurance, rentals, tax you know, all of this stuff that you don't think about when you're setting up shipping you know, yeah, yeah, yeah like there's a huge amount of stuff that goes into it um, uh, and I'm, I'm happy to just contribute in the ways that I can whether it be creatively uh, doing the commentary uh, working with some of the like, the younger guys on, on mic stuff and promos like I remember the last third or fourth show and Danny, Danny Garnell, it was one of my favourite people in British wrestling. One of my favourite people, and, yeah. And one of, and one of, actually, just one of my favourite people. Uh, and absolutely hilarious. We used to do these little VTs that were like screen and screen. It's chapter four or something. Uh, and I used to film them in the park opposite the, uh, the garage outside. Yeah. Uh, and I, I was quite ignorant at this point as to what uh, the level uh, uh, of um, speaking or, or promo skills was with... with a lot of the wrestlers that we were working with. So we went across, I set up the camera and I was like, so Danny basically just like, just uh, just give me a little bit about yourself. 
and Daddy went, I, I don't really talk. And I went, what do you mean? He went, well, I don't really like talk. I don't, I don't really know what to say. And I was like, oh, okay. And I just like, I remember feeding him a few bits, and he was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah that makes sense. And he stared at it a couple of times, and did it, he did it perfectly. And they went, was that all right? I've never really done a promo before. And I, for me, just for, again coming from a theatre background, it was mind-boggling because for me, I used to sit and watch Ric Flair and Randy. I didn't even care what they did in the ring. I used to watch them backstage with Bobby Heenan or Mean Gene Oakland and watch Macho Man or watch even, even people like Rick Martel and go absolutely captivated by 100%. how they can speak. But nobody really, you don't learn that in wrestling. There is no, there was, or at least there, there wasn't a school of learning how to do promos. You kind of did it on the fly and most people who are great at it do it off their own back. And it's a lot of talking into the bathroom mirror and hoping that nobody's listening. Yeah, 100%. Which is exactly what you do in theatre. Where, you know, if you've got a script or you've got, you're singing a song for the first time, guaranteed the neighbours are going to hear you sing it wrong a lot of times before you actually go into an audition room and sing it right. Um, well, that's what I keep saying to like the, the, the kids uh, that we've trained as well, is just keep trying things. Keep trying something. Because one day you'll come out with something on the fly that again is lightning in a bottle and you go I can market that that's something that works for me and it'll feel comfortable um, I was reading a book recently called uh, How to Find Your Own North Star and it's basically like, it's a self-help book really but it's about how your your body will actually like physically react against something you don't want to do like if you're in a job that you hate you're eventually going to get sick and you're going to get sick because you're just not finding it's, you're not going towards something that you want to go towards you will one day get like a rush of blood to the head when you say something in a promo and you go, light bulb. That's, that's it. That is, yeah. that is what, but you're not gonna, you know, you miss, you miss all the shots you don't take. So you've got to keep trying to do that. And um, promos for me are uh, probably the biggest part of, of wrestling that I enjoy the most. Again, it comes from my background, but if you look at the way the WWE are like working with people now, like Dusty used to do those like promo classes, and I remember like when we, when we were crossing, me and my wife were crossing Orlando, and we were staying with uh, 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 Fergal Finn Balor for for a little while, and he was talking to to me about promo classes. He was just like, "I never had this," like completely mind blown. Have Dusty Rhodes sit there and break down what you were saying, and well, I mean, Dusty's one of the best promo guys of all time. Now they have this system in place with the performance center. I'm very excited. We've been invited over, and I'm looking, I'm looking forward to going, just to see this wrestling university that yeah. there's, that there's never been before. Or finishing school for for a lot of the the guys as well. I mean, obviously, like Jack Gallagher over there now as well. You know very well. Uh, Tommy Ends over there now. Demos over there. Like we we are having to in British wrestling work very hard to replace guys we're we're, we're losing. So we we, we need to be working with these young kids to get them to a level where not only they can wrestle for the you know for the big guys but so that they can wrestle for us now and the fans will have the same investment in them in characters as they have done with with Jimmy and Tommy and everyone who's come beforehand uh, but it, on the whole I think it's an absolutely fascinating time for for British wrestling um, and uh, and uh, yeah long may it continue and who knows maybe we'll We'll be running some big American venues uh, that people are very, uh, very, 
very excited about next year. Um, well, speaking about that, we are, you are going over to America for uh, WrestleMania. Yeah. So how did that come about, and what can we expect from that? That came about uh, by a, a meeting with Gabe Sapolsky at WrestleMania last year. It's one of those like dirt sheet meetings. It's the first time I've ever been on a dirt sheet where there was a picture of me. I, I, I tweeted it out very deliberately. Me and Gabe shaking hands at this like meat raffle. No, what was it? It was like it was, it was a bar- <laughs> it was a barbecue or something. I think it was a Terry Funk barbecue, and we removed ourselves from from plain sight for about half an hour. We had a chat about what the future held and did we want to do business together and how we could benefit each other and what have you. Uh, and uh, we've become pretty close, like quite good friends now. Um, and he invited us to come over and uh, do the uh, the Super Show, the WWN Super Show. And then it came about that they wanted to do our own progress show uh, uh, in Orlando over the WrestleMania weekend. And I went to the, uh, the, the the shows last year, and it's an incredible vibe, like. If anybody hasn't been to WrestleMania or WrestleMania weekend or experienced the indie shows, it's absolutely incredible. This relationship with Evolve, excuse me, is um, is again a kind of not a fast track to the WWE, but it's opening a lot of doors that in the past have been pretty far shut. Joe Coffey mentioned, you know, like it was. It's mind-boggling to think that a guy who was the biggest like champion in WWE. Uh, a few you know, weeks ago, a few months ago, he's now, yeah, exactly, he's now coming back to work the biggest independent wrestling show that ICW are having on, you know, in in, in Europe in, in decades. Yeah, that sort of stuff. Now, the the the, the landscape of uh, of wrestling's changed, um, and I think it's going to continue to change in the future because. Uh, uh, again, it has to be put to uh, the the way the the corporate structure is in the WWE now with Triple H being involved uh, and with some other people in the team there being more actively interested in independent professional wrestling and more uh, open to the idea of, of it being beneficial to them and also being beneficial to us if they kill the independent scene then they kill their feeder they, yeah. um, I think the the uh, the idea behind uh, ourselves, myself and Gabe doing business together was that we wanted to, again, they wanted to be associated with brand progress. We wanted to be associated with Evolve because it has such a well-respected um, global reputation. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, and you can just look at their talent roster and go, well, that's not dissimilar to the type of stuff that we're putting on. Uh, what, what we now need to do is get everything uh, everything finalised but there's going to be some some big surprises there's going to be some incredible matches that you are unlikely to see anywhere else uh, and yeah it's going to be the start of something very very exciting uh, and not just for us but I think also for all the talent that's involved because that, that those shows over that weekend um, are going to basically bring a lot of people who maybe weren't in the American eye like firmly into it so the, there's a whole new generation for want of a better term of British wrestlers who 
uh, people I haven't seen who, that people are going to leave and be wearing their merch by you know Sunday afternoon yeah. probably to Wrestlemania um, so we're really excited about it and I, uh, Gabe's a great guy to do business with uh, really, uh, really enjoy uh, discussing stuff with him um, and there's, uh, you know, there's, there's other stuff in the future and I think that we're we're, we're trying to balance our workloads at the moment myself and Jim in, in particular because we don't want to spread ourselves too thin uh, progress deserves, you know, full-time respect now and full-time uh, work. But, yeah, but the, the, you know, it's not, not the issue. I'm, I'm very, very lucky. But with me being on tour and Jim, you know, having just had a, a new kid and <laughs> always been away doing gigs, it is difficult to balance it. Uh, however, if you told 18-year-old Glenn that he'd be 32 and be playing his dad's hero in a musical and be a co-owner of one of the biggest independent wrestling companies arguably in the world now I'd have just my head exploded it's the greatest thing ever that's fantastic uh, how I like to end these is if you're giving anyone advice now about getting into the business yeah. if they potentially want to work for progress or anyway really what would the advice would you give them to any aspiring commentator wrestler anyone who's looking to get into the business um, I spoke br- briefly about what I tell like young promoters I think again I think you have to have to find a good wrestling school uh, like as in a, a very well respected wrestling school it takes 10 minutes on the internet to find after just having looked around at where other people have trained to see how successful that guy is what did he do and to go oh well he trained at Dragon Pro he trained at the Projo he trained you know, wherever um I think that you you have to be incredibly open uh, and uh, be aware to put uh, that the, the chances of being John Cena are very 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 slim. They will uh, in the same way that you'll never have abs like Brad Pitt in Fight Club because you're not genetically made like him. <laughs> you're never going to be John Cena because there is only one John Cena. It's about knowing clearly what your branding is where you fit in the market uh, what, what, what you think would be uh, exciting to uh, not only promoters but to fans um, and what you can bring that's different the, some of the best wrestling I've seen in the last two or three years has been different it's had something that's new uh, not necessarily innovative in terms of moves but something exciting with an entrance. I'm all about entrances as well. You don't have the right music. Again, it goes to back to branding. If you don't have the right music for your character, if you don't know when to walk through the curtain or when your music drops, if you don't know uh, how to hold yourself as a, uh, as, as, a, as a baby face or a healer when you're standing on that stage, all of that stuff can be done in your bedroom. And it can be done with no, no cost. But that's the stuff that before you start training or as you're training you really need to invest in your own branding uh, and be very clear of it and a lot of people will go well you don't really fit my brand that's okay somebody who fits for us may not fit for PCW or um, Dixon or Dixon or exactly Dixon's a prime example Um, and another thing is as well is that speaking of Dixon this that's a very you should bring him up never discount how important it is to work different types of shows you may want to wrestle at Progress or PWG or Fight Club or that kind of environment that, that kind of super indie kind of style 
but you will learn how to manipulate a crowd when you've got 400 kids cheering for you to get, you know, slapped. Basically, that's, that's how you learn to work a crowd. The same way that a lot of people who come straight out of drama school into uh, like theatre jobs, they may have had the best possible training. If something goes wrong, they don't know how to do stuff on the fly or how to work an audience. That's like, I'm only learning that in the last three or four years of my career. Again, that's why I say I have so much respect for Jim. You learn that by wrestling different types of shows, by being in front of kids, by being in front of families, by doing the quote-unquote yeah boo shows. If you don't know how to do that, well, you mentioned earlier on The Revival. Yep. What, what, where did half of The Revival spend most of their phone? Exactly. Because, and I watched them at NXT... Uh, when they were at download this year and he was working his socks off on the apron getting everybody riled up doing stuff that no other NXT guy was doing because he knew that from the camps and he knew that from working in front of crowds and how to lean back to somebody and tell them to shut up and all of a sudden you get a hundred people and then you work the other side and there's another hundred people and all of a sudden your hands are over your ears and you, you do it's panto yeah but if you've got that sort of audience you have to cater to them and Sometimes, if you're on first match in a super indie show and it's a miserable day in November and everybody's been stood outside for three hours, and the first match that goes out there, you might need something like that. That's why the Hunter Brothers are the best tag team in the UK. 100%. Absolutely everything. I'll fight anyone who says differently. You've got to love those white meat baby faces. <laughs> and if I want to fight them, I've got Dave Massif in my corner as well, fighting the argument. So I think <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Glenn, I think that's a brilliant place to end. Where can they find you on the internet, or where would you like them to uh, uh, find us? On, on Facebook, you can find my page. Uh, it's Glenn Joseph Official. Um, on Twitter, it's Glenn underscore Joseph. Uh, and I think it's the same on Instagram. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess there's glennjoseph.co.uk as well if uh, people want to read more about my terrible career. No, 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 no. <laughs> I've had a wonderful career. I've done, done very well. Like I said, there's not many 32-year-olds who can say that they co-own a wrestling company and are playing their dance hero on tour so I'm pretty happy with my little lot I think that's uh, fantastic and I'm, uh, I'm glad I got you outside the uh, buddy bubble yes the a, buddy bubble just in time for a, for a warm up before t- tonight's or this afternoon's show great two today fantastic right Glenn it's been an absolute pleasure nice one mate cheers thanks mate bye Glenn Joseph, everyone. Glenn Joseph. Really, really enjoyed that. As I said at the start of the uh, podcast, I've known Glenn now for about two years. But because because progress is so busy, we never, 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 never get to sit down and spend more than about five or ten minutes. So sit down with an hour with Glenn. Listen to his backstory. Was absolutely fantastic. He was already on board, of course, with progress before I came on. So I didn't know any of this backstory. I didn't know the fact that he wanted to be a wrestler or even tried to get involved in the business that way. And I think that's crazy because I just thought he was somebody who loved wrestling and then got brought on because he was an actor. How wrong I was. Really, really, really enjoyed sitting down with Glenn. And I hope that it's been a bit more of an insight to you guys as well because it was a big eye-opener for me. So, yeah, I know that progress are going to go from strength to strength. I know they have some big stuff planned next year. I know that uh, after the uh, after we turned the recorder off, we had a little bit of a a little bit of a, a chat that was only for our years and they've got some big, big things coming. I'm very, I'm itching, I'm itching to uh, to uh, get back in that ring, get back in that progress ring and I'm very, very excited to see what 2017 holds for progress. Big, big things coming and all thanks to uh, Glenn and John and Jim but they're a well-oiled machine. Everyone plays their part as he said and he, 
I don't think Progress would be as successful as they are if it wasn't for all three of them bringing something very different to the table. So yeah, absolutely fantastic. A real pleasure. Thanks, Glenn. Appreciate you being on the show. Next week's guest is Yestin Reese. That's right, people. Big Lads Wrestling makes a return to the podcast. We've had Rampage Brown. We've had Joe Coffey. We've had Dave Mastiff. And now we're going to get Yestin Reese. So Big Lads Wrestling making a big return to wrestling, friends. I'm very, very excited about this. Got to sit down with Yestin Reese at the ICW a couple, uh, couple weeks ago. And to be honest, I've known Yestin for a, quite a long time now. Probably about six years I got to know Yestin as I uh, broke into the business in Welsh wrestling and I spent many a car journey with Yestin and many a locker room with him. And to be honest with you, a lot of these stories that we discussed next week, I knew I knew quite quite a bit of it and it was really easy for me to navigate through that conversation and pick up the parts I really want to talk about. But again, sometimes you have brief conversations or you know the bells ringing or you're trying to plan your match so you can't really sit and chat. So I kind of really want to dig, get, got my shovel out, and I dug, dug, dug into these conversations, and I really want to pick into them and find out a little bit more. And to be honest, at the start of the conversation, it, it's a little bit, it's a little bit robotic. I hate that word, but it is a little bit robotic. It's a very much like uh, an interview, which I did not want, and I could tell that it was just because I think Yesen was trying to, trying to be very professional about it, and that's great. That shows the sort of guy he is, but. Uh, I pick my moments. We start talking about his injury with his knee. I'm not going to go into too much detail, but it was a big, big injury. I knew about it. I got into it, and I really want to talk about how he made him feel and how scared he was and just all that. And I think using it, being a bit crafty, that really, really broke him down, made him open right up, and it turned out to be a lovely, lovely podcast. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. Again, not a big eye-opener to me because I knew a lot of the stories and it's one of the, one of the reasons I fell in love with Yes and listening to all these stories. So it was great just to kind of dig, 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 open him right up and let him tell his story for you guys because I know there's a lot of stuff you guys want to know and the the injury story especially is it's very scary, especially somebody who's now come out of surgery myself, but uh, him fighting back off that, hitting goals and confirming himself as one of the best top men in the country. So yeah, next week you're going to be uh, listening to the wonderful Yestin Reese. Of course, if you enjoyed this show, as always, you can jump out onto the Twitter. I am at Flash underscore Morgan, or you can use the hashtag WrestlingFriends. Or you can jump over on the Facebook, that is Facebook.com forward slash Flash Morgan Webster. Love seeing those posts, love seeing those tweets. Let me know if you're enjoying the show, let me know your best bits, and you know... It just as I said to you, this podcast was done because I wanted to be a little bit close to you guys. I wanted to be a little bit more connected to my injury because I don't get to see you as much anymore. So this way is my way of being closer to you. So I love to see those tweets. love to be able to see those Facebook posts. So please keep those up. Well, of course, as well, if you do want to be a bit more discreet or maybe you want to be Band of the Week like this week's band, Pretty Little Enemy, please send me an email over at flashmorgan at live.co.uk. love seeing those emails. love seeing a little bit of feedback. Always love when somebody gives me some technical advice because, you know... I'm doing this off my own back. I have no uh, have no media degree. I have an art degree, so I'm, I'm good at being creative, but I don't know the technical side. So yeah, any technical advice, send it my way. Any other advice, again, send it my way or anything else. If you want to be a bit more discreet, want to send me anything, or if you want to be band of the week, then please send me an email over at flashmorgan at live.co.uk. Love seeing those tweets. Love seeing those emails. Love seeing those posts. Yeah, thanks, guys. So yeah, I guess that wraps up another show. Big thanks to Glenn Joseph for being on the show. Really was a pleasure to sit down with Glenn and finally have a talk because, as I said, we don't get a lot of time to do that. So yeah, big thanks to Glenn. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did because it really was, again, one of my favourites. They all seem to be one of my favourites, but they all are for different reasons. So yeah, big thanks to Glenn. 
Also, big thanks to our sponsor, of course, partsunknown.co.uk. If you're looking for a place to design, stock, sell your t-shirts, then please head over there. Paddy and the guys are doing some great stuff. And if you're just looking for a fan, looking for some t-shirts, maybe head over there and support some of your favorite wrestlers. Let's make this place great because, hey, they're paying me to keep this podcast free. So, hey, this is just shows how much love they have for professional wrestling and British wrestling in general. So definitely head over there and support those guys. They're doing some great, great stuff. Also, maybe jump over and support UKWrestlingOnDemand.com. Dave and the guys are doing great stuff over there as well. They're looking for a one-stop shop for British wrestling. And it's, hey, it's what, three ninety nine. That's hardly anything. So definitely head over there and check that out because they've got some great back catalogs and everyone is adding more content as we speak. So definitely, definitely go check those out. All that's left to say really is Band of the Week this week is a little band called Pretty Little Enemy from Southwest in England. So yeah, if you love Killswitch Engage, you love Coed and Cambria, then you are definitely, definitely going to love these guys. They're on Facebook.com uh, forward slash Pretty Little Enemy. If you give them a search as well on the Twitter, Pretty Little Enemy, you'll definitely find them on there. And the same in SoundCloud, give them a search, Pretty Little Enemy. So yeah, to play us out this week, we have Pretty Little Enemy with the song Vertebrake. So yeah, always a pleasure. Always a treasure. And this is Pretty Little Enemy with Vertebrake. Bye. Thanks for stopping by. <laughs> 